Hi there, Brandon Walker here, host of the Eyes of Texas podcast. This week I've got a real treat to share from our friends over at the Mismatch podcast. Each episode, my friend Roger Weber takes a look at what the show's title suggests, Mismatches, stories about people or experiences that don't quite seem to match up yet somehow are intertwined with one another. No matter consequence, as you'll soon discover. We are stepping aside this week to bring you an episode of Mismatch, one which Texans happen to know well. It's a tale of a blowout battle over who was first to successfully implant an artificial heart into a human. A tale of alleged theft and deceit between two dueling doctors in the Texas Medical Center. Roger Weber takes it from there. Enjoy. It's 12 hours after surgery. The patient's eyes are barely open. His chest and neck are still covered in yellow antibiotic wash. And where's your home? What city do you live in? Skokie. Hmm? Skokie. Haskell Karp's own heart is missing, and he has no transplanted one. The heartbeat, if it can accurately be called that, blasts out of a huge control unit next to his bed. Two corrugated tubes lead to the inside of the man's chest. They provide rhythmic pulses of carbon dioxide, powering the world's first artificial heart. The operation on April 4, 1969, will briefly extend the patient's life. It will also trigger the most famous feud in the history of medicine. I'm Roger Weber. Welcome to Mismatch, stories about the incompatible, the unsuitable, and the out of step. Well, what we have done is to uh, replace uh, the human heart uh, with a completely mechanical device. The uh, replacement is a total one. The heart has been removed, and the replacement is done in the pericardial sac, or the cavity in which the heart usually lies. That's heart surgeon Denton Cooley. He's talking to reporters in Houston after the operation 50 years ago. Uh, we have uh, inside this man's chest uh, two pumping chambers, uh, uh, two ventricles with four valves, four mechanical valves. Uh, this is used to propel uh, the blood just like the human heart does. Cooley was a rock star in the world of cardiac surgery, but what he did that day enraged the other rock star of cardiac surgery, Dr. Michael DeBakey. Cooley had, in effect, stolen his heart. My name is Mimi Swartz, and I'm the author of Ticker, The Quest to Create an Artificial Heart. I had a friend who used to say that sometimes things that seem 180 degrees apart are exactly the same. And, and what really interested me was on the surface, these two men seemed, as, seemed like polar opposites, but I think internally they were very similar. Um, Michael DeBakey was a, a small man in stature, uh, the child of immigrants, um, someone who was raised by his parents uh, to be a genius. Uh, he probably was, but if he wasn't when he started, he certainly believed he was uh, by the time he was an adult. Um, and he grew up in a very small town in, in Louisiana, Lake Charles, where uh, someone was quoted as saying he was beat up on his way to school every day. And he, he had an indomitable will. Denton Cooley, on the other hand, grew up in Houston, 
child of privilege, unbelievably gifted as an athlete, even more handsome than he was gifted. And I think most people thought he had it, that everything came easily to him. But in fact, he was the child of, a, I think, an abusive alcoholic father. His parents divorced around the 1930s. And so I think he, too, had a will to succeed. No one was going to ever get in his way. In 1951, Dubicki hired Cooley as a surgeon at Baylor College of Medicine in Houston. At the time, open-heart surgery was just getting started. If you look back centuries, the heart was always the seat of the soul. So to cut on the heart was seen as heretical. Um, and then as time went on and there were medical advances, no one could figure out a way to operate on the heart without killing the patient because the heart's connected to the lungs. So how in the world were you going to stop the heart and stop the lungs long enough to correct a problem without killing somebody? But Cooley was confident that he could do it. He was lightning fast at the operating table. This is one of those stories that, as we say in Texas, if it ain't true, it ought to be. A lot of people still think Cooley was the best surgeon who ever lived, and it wasn't that things came easily to him. I mean, he had incredible gifts, but he was also very driven, and he practiced. And And one of the stories is that he would practice tying knots with one hand in a matchbox. So you had a very small area to work in, and, and your manual dexterity was everything. Open-heart surgery expanded with the development of heart-lung machines. In 1957, Cooley invented a better one, using parts from a hardware store. And around that same time, DeBakey's own shopping trip led to better grafting for damaged blood vessels. One day he was out of the usual fabric he used to make them, which was nylon. He marched down to Foley's, which was the downtown department store, and asked for nylon because he needed to make his own grafts again. And the salesman looked around. They were out of nylon. And he turned to DeBakey and said, well, we've got this new fabric that I actually think is better. Uh, it's stronger. It's less porous. And it's called Dacron. And, and DeBakey basically said, well, you know, I'll take what I can get. And he took it home, made the grafts, and they worked better. And that's what uh, grafts were made of from then on. Now they're medical-grade Dacron. <laughs> but at the time, you know, this was sort of what passed for heart surgery in the 40s, 50s, and 60s. You just used what you could get your hands on. DeBakey made the, the prototype of the Dacron graft on his sewing machine? Yes, absolutely. Swartz says DeBakey and Cooley's relationship inspired the early 60s TV show Ben Casey. It was an older, younger surgeon story, um, and the older surgeon's name was Dr. Zorba, and he was a short, not very handsome man with sort of Brillo pad hair who bore much more than a passing resemblance to uh, Dr. DeBakey. And then his protege was Dr. Ben Casey, who was an incredibly handsome, you know, dark-haired, burning eyes, younger surgeon. But doctors Casey and Zorba found a way to get along, unlike the real drama unfolding in Houston. What was Cooley's nickname? 
Dr. Wonderful. Walter Bakey was sometimes called Black Mike because of his tyrannical style. I think uh, DeBakey demanded fealty, and, and there was nobody who was going to bow down to anyone. Uh, like uh, That just wasn't in Denton Cooley's makeup. There were tensions building. There was no hospital big enough for the two of these guys. And eventually, things got so bad that Cooley, in, in Texas fashion, basically went and built his own hospital. <laughs> So thanks to generous donors in town and his because he knew everybody in town and could get them to write checks on the spot. Cooley set up shop at St. Luke's Hospital, where he later started the Texas Heart Institute. He was able to do far more surgeries there compared to Methodist Hospital, where DeBakey continued his work. Cooley could have six operating rooms going at once because he had various doctors opening and closing for him. So he would basically come in. It's like, you know, the opera would play the melody, and at a certain point, Cooley would come in and sing the opera and then leave and go to another stage and sing the same aria again. By Denton Cooley's estimate, he performed 100,000 heart surgeries in his career. It's tough to wrap your head around a figure like that. And it's impossible to imagine each patient hoping for longer life and better quality of life. One of them was a husband and father who worked in the printing industry in Chicago. Um, my name is Martin Karp, and I'm the youngest of three sons of Haskell Karp. He was a Depression-era kid, born and grew up in Chicago. They didn't have much money, and he wound up um, joining the Army and serving in World War II. He was stationed in Italy. And uh, as soon as he got back, within a week of coming back from the war, he married my mother. His, his coronary issues began when you were very young, right? Yes. Uh, Dad had his first massive coronary when I was two years old. Um, so in my memory, you know, he was always ill. We, we lived in a small townhouse, and he had his chair, and uh, he listened to a lot of classical music and jazz on his radio and, and read uh, all the time. He was just a big reader. And he had a lot of cardiac incidents in the subsequent years, um, and but always survived. Um, back then, they, they didn't have uh, the cardiac interventions and therapies they do today, so it meant lots of time in the hospital, lots of bed rest, and minimal physical activity. In the 1950s and 60s, as Haskell Karp's health declined, the reputation of Denton Cooley ascended. They would make medical history together. But Cooley believed it could happen only if he kept Dr. Michael DeBakey in the dark. We choose to go to the moon. In 1962, at Houston's Rice University, President Kennedy detailed his goal to put a man on the lunar surface before the end of 1969. We shall send to the moon 240,000 miles away from the control station in Houston a giant rocket more than 300 feet tall, the length of this football field, made of new metal alloys, some of which have not yet been invented. Kennedy's goal seemed overly ambitious at the time. Meanwhile, DeBakey was cooking up something crazier than a moonshot. He lobbied Congress, successfully, to fund research into building an artificial heart. My name is Ruth Doyle Sorrell. I spent 20 years at the Houston Chronicle as its medical writer 
and then another 20 years at Baylor College of Medicine as the chief science editor there. The Holy Grail was the art, total artificial heart. And DeBakey recruited Domingo Liotta from Argentina to become like their bioengineer. He was a heart surgeon, but he was really interested in the intricacies of building an artificial heart. While NASA engineers were heading to spectacular success, Liotta struggled to solve the riddle of the human heart. He had to develop a material over which blood would flow and would not cause clotting, because clotting was a major factor. Also, the size of an artificial heart would greatly limit the person in whom you could implant it. You could never put it in a child or even most women. All the people that Cooley implanted the original artificial heart in were big men, over six feet, over 200 pounds, because it had to have a huge chest cavity. Houston was the epicenter for trailblazing heart surgery and research, but in 1967, Cape Town grabbed the spotlight. The world's first heart transplant has been performed. Medical history has been made in South Africa. Dr. Christian Bernard's patient lived 18 days with the heart of a young woman killed in a car accident. That brought new focus to the artificial heart as a way to buy patients more time until donors could be found. Back in suburban Chicago, time is growing short for Haskell Carp. I was upstairs practicing my trumpet when I was in fifth grade and I heard a thud and I called downstairs. I was home alone with dad and I heard a thud and he was, um, and I didn't, didn't answer and I ran downstairs and found him on the floor, sort of barely conscious. And I went and got our neighbor, you know, the next day they found him planting a uh, pacemaker, something called a, a demand cardiac pacemaker, which was relatively new at the time because it would sense when uh, the heart would miss a beat and act as the internal cardiac pacemaker that, um, you know, that's part of the heart. Um, and this allowed dad to go about his, his regular life and go back to work and drive. But after about six months, he took a turn for the worse. His breathing was labored. He had no energy. Carp's doctor wrote to Denton Cooley, who agreed to take on the case. Martin Karp remembers the day in March of 1969 when his father left for Houston. Um, he came downstairs in a suit for the first time since he had stopped working. And, and I was leaving for school and he bent down with what little energy he had in him and, and gave me a big goodbye hug, which is not something that, that I had experienced in some time. And as I walked out of the house, I realized this was the big goodbye. The same week Haskell Carp became Cooley's patient, Dr. Michael DeBakey was speaking at UCLA. Investigators in other laboratories are vigorously pursuing the development of the artificial heart. Such a device is not merely a fanciful idea. Replacing the pumping func function of the heart has already proved feasible, and this research will ultimately reach full fruition. But DeBakey was having more luck with the LVAD, which stands for Left Ventricular Assist Device. It was a kind of half-heart, which was proving to be a good way to boost blood flow. But the total artificial heart, being developed by bioengineer Domingo Liotta, was flunking animal tests. Liotta had put it in two calves. 
and neither calf survived. So obviously there was a problem. And Liotta, at one point, actually came to DeBakey and said, I want to put this in people. DeBakey replied, you can't put it into people if it won't keep calves alive. But Liotta knew another doctor who would use the new device on humans. He quietly formed an alliance with Denton Cooley, who would soon try to save Haskell Karp's life. And he came to Cooley virtually moribund. And I think it was just a last-ditch effort by his family to keep him alive. He, his heart was failing or failed almost. And he was dying. They started surgery on him to see what they could do, maybe do a bypass, whatever. And he's starting to die. I mean, he's just dying on the table. Carp had signed an agreement that an artificial heart could be implanted if his own heart failed. Cooley had one in a sterile chamber outside the operating room. I have it on good authority that Cooley went and took the heart out of the Baylor lab. Himself? Somebody did from his, I, I don't know exactly who did it, but I know I have somebody whom I trust who saw him, saw that particular heart being taken out of the lab. The Baylor lab, which was under Michael DeBakey's umbrella. Even though Cooley had found a new home for his surgeries, he remained on the Baylor faculty. So he calls for the heart and they bring it in and they connect it. And he starts to pink up at first. A technician flipped a switch. Blood began to flow. And Haskell Karp began breathing on his own. Cooley's eyes teared as he shook Liotta's hand. 11-year-old Martin Karp had stayed behind in Illinois while his mother and older brother attended the surgery in Houston. Martin had no idea that an artificial heart would be put into his father's chest. He was at a friend's house when the news came on the radio. It was just an incredible, surreal experience. Um, hearing my dad's name and then the mention of an artificial heart, and it was like I was in the middle of the science fiction story all of a sudden. Um, it just, I guess, I mean, my body, I think the adrenaline just shot through me. My body felt like all the blood drained from it. It was just... And it, uh, just an experience, you know, in a, in a moment I'll never, ever forget in my life. Michael DeBakey, it's safe to say, had a similar reaction. He actually was in Washington testifying about the progress of the grants that had been given him to develop artificial hearts. And it showed up on the front page of the newspaper. That's the first he heard of it. And he was livid. He was calling people at Baylor. He was screaming on the phone. He was furious. And he was livid with Cooley because he felt that that was a tremendous betrayal. And a betrayal of the, of the, of the whole program. According to the book Ticker, DeBakey changed the locks at the Baylor lab and fired its workers. And... He was afraid that Baylor would lose all of its federal funding because you ha even then you had to go through several hoops before you could use something like an artificial heart in a person. 
Twelve hours after the surgery, a doctor held a microphone near Haskell Karp's face. Could you turn the other way so we can get your picture? Speak louder. He reached behind Karp's neck to reposition him toward the camera. Well, could you open your eyes for us? Let's look at the color of your eyes. Open real wide. Look up above your head for us. That's it. At a press conference after the surgery, Cooley seemed to anticipate the controversy. We're not in this uh, primarily uh, to satisfy our curiosity or, uh, say, scientific uh, interest. Uh, we're here to try to save this man's life. And if we could get a donor tonight, uh, we would remove this device. And uh, That happened three days later. The artificial heart was removed, and Haskell Karp received a donated heart. It beat for 36 hours. Martin Karp remembers his mother telling him over the phone that his father was dead. Well, almost 50 years have passed. Looking back, uh, give me your view of, of what happened with, with your father, with the surgery, with Denton Cooley. Well, so first of all, you know, there's supposedly paper, there's paperwork that shows my father signed and agreed to the use of the artificial heart if there was no other way out. You know, he went into surgery with the hopes of fixing his heart. Um, and you know what, I think, you know, my opinion is Dr. Cooley was probably being um, a bit opportunistic about it, but I think my dad knew that he, he didn't have, there wasn't much hope for him. And I think he uh, agreed to agreed to be that guinea pig if 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 it was deemed necessary to to keep him alive. Cooley justified it based on the fact that he was saving a man's life. In the end, he didn't. That's not really a good justification. You have to have some sense that it's going to work. That it, that it's going to happen. I feel my, like my dad made an incredible contribution to the advancement of of, of the science of treating heart disease. He's, he's just a very brave man to, to go through all that and just try to, you know, be there and to, as long as he could. Michael DeBakey ordered an investigation into the unauthorized surgery. Cooley resigned from Baylor and was censured by the American College of Surgeons. The Cooley-DeBakey feud was on. Here's ticker author Mimi Swartz. The whole city knew about it. It was like a divorced couple, a much-loved divorced couple, where everyone had to choose sides. And if you were a nurse at, at Methodist, you didn't want to have anything to do with nurses at the Texas Heart Institute or St. Luke's Hospital. I think if you asked DeBakey, he and could make him honestly respond, he would just say, you know, Denton Cooley is dead to me. Despite the bitter split, each physician never lost a step in the march of medical progress. They kept saving lives, and the nation thanked them for it. President Reagan gave Cooley the Medal of Freedom. In an outstanding professional career, Dr. Denton Cooley has distinguished himself time and again in the field of medicine. As one of this country's leading heart surgeons, he has charted new territory in his search for ways to prolong and enrich human life. DeBakey had received his own Medal of Freedom from President Johnson and later was awarded the Congressional Gold Medal, 
Speaker Nancy Pelosi said he had an almost biblical power to cure. By literally fixing broken hearts, he has given hope and health to millions. And today, it is our honor to give him the Congressional Gold Medal. Thank you, Dr. DeBakey. In 2007, an aging DeBakey was home recovering from a risky aneurysm surgery. Cooley was moved by the thought of the old medical lion reaching the end of his prolific life. He thought back to long ago when DeBakey hired him, mentored him, partnered with him. So he wanted to make amends before DeBakey died. So he he got in his car and drove to uh, DeBakey's house, knocked on the door, and DeBakey's stunning wife answered the door and Cooley explained himself and said he really wanted to just make amends and just talk to Dr. DeBakey before he was gone. And the wife left him standing at the door and said, let me go check. You know, she didn't invite him in. She didn't let him come sit down in the living room while he waited. And Cooley cooled his heels for, I think, about 20 minutes. And then the wife came back and said, you know, he's he's just still sleeping. He can't see you. Ruth Sorrell says fellow healthcare professionals wanted the feud to end. The two rivals certainly knew how to handle a scalpel, but could they find a way to bury the hatchet? All of their colleagues at one point or another tried to talk them into becoming friends again, or at least working together again. And it was to no avail. The ice between them finally seemed to break, or at least melt a bit, with two award ceremonies. It happened in 2007, a few months after Cooley's failed mission to his rival's home. DeBakey accepted an honorary membership in Cooley's Surgical Society. Cooley, in turn, was inducted into DeBakey's Surgical Society. I think the fact that DeBakey had such a life-threatening problem, it made him and Cooley realize that life is short. Not for them, but that I think they always intended to make up. And then they knew that they really needed to do it then. But I always wonder, what if they had cooperated and used their incredible talents together? What could they have accomplished? Michael DeBakey died at 99. Denton Cooley lived to be 96. In spite of their famous feud, each man's impact was enormous. They extended lives they advanced science. Today, total artificial hearts made by Syncardia have been implanted more than 1,800 times. Patients can carry the heart's powering unit, allowing them to lead nearly normal lives while awaiting permanent heart transplants. I think it's their final gift that they made up the feud, at least least publicly. It was sort of a gift to maybe younger people to say, no matter how mad you get at somebody, you can forgive. You can make that up, no matter how long it's been going on. But the thing that really touched me was they sat there and they held hands across a table. The Bakey was in his wheelchair and Cooley was sitting across from him. And the Bakey said, I could not have done all of this without you. You know, we would not have this medical school we wouldn't have this medical center if you hadn't been here with me. And I cried. I mean, it was pretty amazing. And I think he meant it.
Mismatch is produced by Zach Rosen and written and narrated by me, Roger Weber. For more information on this story, check out our website, mismatchpodcast.com. Our thanks to Roger Weber, host of the Mismatch Podcast. Roger and his team have two seasons of great shows to share, so why don't you check them out? Head to our website, click2houston.com slash eyesoftexas, and we'll link you there. Of course, on the website are archives of season one of our show, the Eyes of Texas podcast. If you haven't already, be sure to check them out, and be sure to subscribe, too, so you'll be first to hear season two later this year. Come along as we go traveling Texas together on the Eyes of Texas podcast. <laughs>